0: And codes verified.
1: Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel.
2: Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 341 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report on all things Star Trek, recorded live on Tuesday, October 31st, 2017, and available for download or streaming on Friday, November 3rd at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Tony. And in our audio booth is our audio engineer, Winters. You rang. All right, Ken. why don't you tell us what's coming up this week?
1: This week, we're trekking out what Robert Picardo has been up to with the Planetary Society, where you can get your hands on some rare Trek memorabilia, and why the science of discovery doesn't quite stack up. In Star Trek Online and gaming news, we're heading on a road trip, where soon you'll be able to play Star Trek Online in Vulcan the town, not the planet, and Star Trek Bridge Crew VR, you can play in a custom-made VR studio. Later, we're dissecting the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, magic to make the sanest man go mad, in our on-screen segment. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains,
3: you know we love hearing from you between episodes, so please reach out to us. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash priority one podcast. We're on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at Priority One Podcast dot com.
2: Captains, over the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about the financial contributions that we receive via Patreon. First up, we have a few people to thank, including Greg Cook. Scott Stedman and Timothy Massing for joining us on Patreon and for their financial contributions to Priority One Podcast. Now, Captains, this financial contribution helps us produce additional content, including the existing weekly episodes that you hear from week to week. In addition to content like On Screen, a weekly review of Star Trek Discovery featuring special guests like Al Rivera and Dr. Robert Hurt, hosted by Elijah, Tony, and James Lee. Now, we understand, Captains, that doing a financial contribution may not be feasible, so what we ask is that you please share this show with your friends. Tell them that they can get their weekly roundup of Star Trek news from Priority One Podcast, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Now, we know that $10 may not be something feasible, but perhaps consider a $1 a month contribution. If dozens of you contribute $1, then that amount certainly adds up. And we are so, so very grateful for what you do and can contribute, whether it's financial or just via social media support. So, again, we thank our existing patrons and your support by sharing this podcast via social media.
1: Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse.
2: me, I don't know. Then let's check it out.
3: If you need a Voyager fix after having watched all the episodes on CBS All Access, because we know you're watching them now that you've subscribed via our affiliate link, wink wink, you may want to subscribe to the Planetary Society's YouTube channel that features The Doctor himself, Robert Picardo, that Doctor. You may remember that he also made a video singing a parody of La Donna Immobile a few weeks ago back honoring the uh, Cassini mission. In this most recent episode, he dons the Phantom's mask and interviews Dr. Konstantin Batskyan, one of the members of the team which has theorized a big ninth planet way out beyond Neptune. It's great to see these videos from the Planetary Society with support appearances by actors like Robert Picardo and Bill Nye the Science Guy. Links to the video, of course, be in the show notes.
2: Have you already ordered your new iPhone X, 10, whatever you want to call it? Well, good for you. Do your AirPods offer a real-time translation feature? no <laughs> boo for you because <laughs> with the release of the google pixel 2 the second in their line of phones by htc google is also releasing the 160 and sixty dollar bluetooth enabled pixel buds that are compatible with android assistant and google translate now Unfortunately, the compatibility with these earbuds is limited to the Pixel and Pixel 2 phones with Android 6.0 or higher, and enabled with Google Assistant. However, the Universal Translator is just about here! Well, I mean, the the Terran Translator, at least, or... At, 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 look, it's at least in 40 languages from Earth, okay? It's really cool, and I'm really excited to get my hands on these because then I could be a wanderlust and just travel the world, not have to worry about being held back by language barriers.
1: As long as you can get the... Get- you know your phrase out. Where do I find a charger fast enough? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: And it'll it'll let people speaking. It'll they'll understand you, but how do they'll have to look at your screen to get to understand? Uh, sorry, you'll understand them, but you have to. They'll have to look at your screen to understand you.
2: No, what ends up happening is that you will click the earbud. You will speak in English what you want to say. Then what happens is is that the google assistant will translate it to you and play back the audio in the language that you want it to be translated in through the speakers of the cell phone yeah so they hear it on the speakers of their cell phone and what will end up happening is that they will speak into the device into your phone and the pixel buds will translate it into your ear Mm -hmm. in real time yeah so this is a phenomenal technology now we've seen a kickstarter project that Mm -hmm is very similar to this uh but you know here we are with a you know a device that is already in your pocket if you don't already have the google pixel i have the pixel XL, and i've i've thoroughly enjoyed this phone uh over the last year it's it's great it gets the latest updates from google i never feel like i'm bogged down by bloatware, and the fact that the Pixel Buds are compatible with my phone, I'm really excited. Like, I don't, I, it, it just makes the world smaller, and I'm really excited about that.
1: So do you fancy purchasing a piece of the 2009 Star Trek or 2013's Star Trek Into Darkness? Now you can. On December 2nd, PropStore.com will be holding a live auction of Star Trek props starting at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Now you too can own your very own set-used phaser, uniform, or even Chris Pine's wetsuit, hello, if you're into that sort of thing. Warning, be prepared to spend into the thousands of dollars. For a better idea of how much this may set you back, check out the auction gallery at EW.com.
3: So, you've suspended disbelief about the subspace root system of the groovy shrooms living in the USS Discovery's engineering lab. And you've glazed over the macro tardigrade that tears through metal deck plates and rings itself out like a ShamWow when it's had enough of Starfleet's abuse. But do you know where a professor of biomedical engineering, computer science, and biostatistics at John Hopkins University draws the line? I'll tell you where. Horizontal gene transfer, that's where, yeah. On the show, the hand-wavium that makes the interstellar mystery machine boldly go is the DNA that the tardigrade adopts from the groovy shrooms via horizontal gene transfer, or HGT. By integrating the mycelium DNA into its own, the creature is given an all-access pass. <laughs> Get it? You, you <laughs> remember, remember <laughs> the time with the CPS? <laughs> okay, got it. <clears throat> right. Okay. Um, That's funny. Uh, uh, excuse me. It was, a, it was a pass to the subspace root network holding the cosmos together. That's how Ripper the Tardigrade could bamf discovery all around the universe. And now Lieutenant Stamets can do it, too. But according to Professor Steven Stalzberg in an article on Forbes.com, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Once a creature has adopted the DNA, it no longer has any connection to the donor species at all. He says, quote, This is no more plausible than asserting people could connect to the mushroom network by eating a plate of mushrooms. End quote. And it turns out that the original journal article that suggested terrestrial tardigrades were capable of HGT was in fact debunked within months of its publication via peer-reviewed articles in the very same journal. Three cheers for the scientific method!
1: Yeah, it's a real shame, actually, this article. Okay, I like... I like... I'm willing to forgive it. I'll gloss it over. It's Star Trek. But, but they are correct in pointing out that of all... well majority of the other technology that we've seen in Star Trek. It is not maybe even possible. It certainly doesn't exist, but it's plausible. You know, warp theory, transporter beams, tractor beams, phasers, all that kind of stuff that we know and love. It's all sort of plausible science, and uh, yikes, uh, something that's a very key component of what, what is a central piece of discovery is just Incorrect, which is
3: man, you're such a square man.
1: I know I forgive it because I really like it, but uh it's
3: it, mm. it, it, it's it is sort of like it's one of those things where if they started writing the process, they said within months, right, so it's mm-hmm. like this is the most awesome thing ever we have to like build an entire show around this thing, and then a few months later it's like, no, what it actually was was contamination in the lab, and we can prove that scientifically, and that whole thing was wrong. So it's like, I mean, what do you do? Go back and tear up the show Bible now and then and, and do it? I mean, maybe that was the time frame, I don't know. Or maybe they just saw the original article and not the retraction. But, yeah. I, oh, no, I got it. I got it. They're going to have the last episode, and they're going to say, Guys, it turns out this is all impossible. We can't have done this at, for, at all. So it just doesn't work anymore. Shut it all down.
2: In some way, right? In some way, because we don't have mycelium network drives in TNG or any other future incarnation of Star Trek. So somehow, some way, this method of travel has to be disproven and not probable or not, you know, sustainable.
3: I like to think they found the old journal article saying this whole thing's impossible and it was all a dream. Yep,
1: yeah. and then they get together and they laugh and <laughs> yes. <freeze> frame.
3: Yeah,
2: <laughs> it'll it never freeze frame. yeah. <laughs> like this recent episode of Discovery, an episodic oh. ship in a bottle episode. But mm. we'll get to that Ooh. shortly. Shor- now let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online and gaming news.
1: Computer status report.
2: Status.
3: Incoming message.
1: I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, welcome to Star Trek Online and Gaming News, where this week we're stepping away from our computers and consoles and bringing you a couple stories from far-flung places. Have you ever
2: been to Vulcan? Vulcan, Alberta, that is, in Canada. This tiny Canadian town of Vulcan near Calgary celebrates its link to Star Trek, despite having been named well before Star Trek aired. And soon... Tourists visiting the town's Trek station will be able to play Star Trek online while they're there, thanks to the generosity of a family from Fairborn, Ohio. Frank Howell, his wife Stacy, and their son Lancelot visited the Trek station in October and were so impressed with the facility that they decided to make a generous donation. A couple of hours after visiting, they returned with a brand new computer. Trek Station has been remodeling an interior space that is intended to be used for visitors to play Star Trek online. Hal told the news website VulcanAdvocate.com, quote, We bought an HP pavilion so they would have a second computer system. We wanted to help the station and help Vulcan. It seems like a very nice place, end quote. Chantelle DeBolt, Vulcan Tourism Administrative Assistant, was reportedly baffled, but in a good way. She told VulcanAdvocate.com, quote, It shows that we made an impact when they were here, and I think that's the biggest part. We want to be able to make an impact on anyone that comes here, end quote. So, Captains, that brings us to this week's community question. If you could visit any earthly location with Star Trek history attached to it, where would you go? Would you go to Vulcan or perhaps Vasquez Rocks? Or where they film Starfleet Academy in California. Let us know in the comments section of our website, PriorityOnePodcast.com, forward slash PO341, or send us a message through one of our social media channels, because we are on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast, or on Twitter at Priority One Pod.
1: And while you're out traveling, you may want to plan a stop at an IMAX VR Center. Ubisoft and IMAX have just announced that a special edition of Star Trek Bridge Crew VR is now being rolled out across IMAX VR Center locations across the globe, where you can step into an immersive VR experience without having to build your own VR rig. This special edition, called Rescue at Persif, is an exclusive mission playable only at these locations. Star Trek.com reports that IMAX's chief business development officer, Robert D. Lister, says, quote... Star Trek Bridge Crew Rescue at Persef is a game-changing, destination-based VR experience, and one of the most significant pieces of content to come to IMAX VR centers. We work closely with Ubisoft to adapt this experience specifically for IMAX VR, offering audiences a truly engaging and interactive multiplayer experience you can't get anywhere else." IMAX VR centers offer more than just a room in which to play VR games. From their website, quote, Features of the IMAX VR experience include room tracking technology that allows players to explore virtual space more than has ever been possible, single player and head-to-head multiplayer competition, a combination of the most advanced VR headset technology for unmatched immersion and image resolution, control devices that give lifelike haptic feedback, adding a deeper layer of realism, end quote. This is not your grandmother's VR rig. Star Trek Bridge Crew VR Rescue at Persef is currently available only at their Los Angeles location, but will soon expand to their other locations in New York, Shanghai, and Toronto, joining other outstanding games like John Wick Chronicles, Paranormal Activity The Lost Soul, and Star Wars Trial on Tatooine.
2: You know- there was a company that uh, came out a few years ago out in Utah called The Void. And what they were was a fully immersive virtual reality experience in an arena so that you would – the arena was just a bunch of walls, right? It was mm-hmm. a maze of walls and, you know, some of them had shapes to them but it, but plain. Mm-hmm. But you would wear this remote backpack that had a VR headset over it like an Oculus mm-hmm. Rift or a Vive or whatnot – and then you would go and play through this arena and interact with the walls, and it would be a maze that tracked you, and it, you, know, you, were, you were experiencing it in the VR headset, but you also had tactile experience.
1: Didn't they do something with, like, a, a like a zombie run or something like that?
2: Uh, I don't remember a zombie run, but I know they did it with uh, Ghostbusters when the uh, reboot movie okay, came yeah. out. And, and yeah. that was at Madame Tussauds in, in New York City. They had done one. It just looks completely fully immersive. So I, I don't know that this is exactly that, but it would mm-hmm. be nice if we started to see more of these arenas pop up and start seeing some Star Trek titles. Like, imagine Elite Force or something like that, uh, where you, in fact, are going through the arena and... and uh, Firing your phaser rifle—I mean, that's just as epic. It's an epic experience that I that I, I would love to have. Um, now, I own the Oculus Rift, and I've downloaded and played Star Trek Bridge Crew. And gee, golly, I hope that they do an update with Star Trek Discovery because I would love to sit in the bridge of the Discovery or the Shenzo. Man, oh man, I would just love that because right now it's the Kelvin timeline mm-hmm. bridge, and you have the option for the Tos bridge, uh, but gee, golly, do I want that That Shenzo or the Discovery Bridge?
1: <laughs> it would be kind of cool. I, mean, I really like this idea of having a place that you can go and do it because, uh, you know, the VR rig is outside of my price range. But, you know, this, this sounds a little bit like going and playing, like, Laser Tag. Right. You know, something like that. You would go to a, a center to go and play with your friends, go and get a group. <gasps> they should do that. They should do it in Vegas. Yeah.
3: How yeah, fun would that really be? Should. they really should.
2: really should. Yeah.
1: Uh, then we could all get together with our Priority One listeners and have a big Star Trek Bridge Crew VR game. That would be so much fun. Hmm.
2: So I will definitely be visiting the one in New York City. Um, Mm -hmm. It's in Manhattan, so I would just take a nice little day trip and, and experience it there. Well, Captains, we may not have much from Star Trek Online news this week, but that doesn't mean that you can't enhance your gaming experience and level up your captain just a
0: little bit further with Winter's Weekly Top Tip. In an effort to lend a hand to new players, or even surprise the most veteran captains in Star Trek Online, here's my weekly top tip. This week I'm going to talk to you about how to set up your space weapons to auto-fire. This can be extremely useful as it cuts back the need for you to constantly hit the space bar in order to fire your weapons, and instead you can focus on things like piloting and kicking off captain and bridge officer powers. As you might have guessed, you need to be in space in order to set this up. Somewhere like salt system or quadrant space is fine. Once in space, look down to your systems tray where all your powers or abilities are. To the left of the systems tray is the ship weapons tray. I'm sure you are all familiar with this tray as it displays your weapon status while in combat. Basically, all you have to do is mouse over each weapon and right click on each of them. When you do this, you will notice a green border will appear around each weapon as you right-click on them. This green border indicates that the weapon is now set to auto-fire. Some points to note are 1. You will have to initiate the start of the firing cycle. Once you have started firing, then and only then will your weapons continue to auto-fire. 2. Your weapons will continue to fire on your currently selected target until the target is either destroyed, goes out of your weapons firing arc or you move beyond 10 kilometers away from your currently selected target three when you destroy your target or select a new target you will once again have to initiate the start of the firing cycle in order for your weapons to auto fire for more information we will leave a link in the show notes at priority1podcast.com forward slash po 341
1: i just want to say this is a really good tip and a lot of people who have been playing Star Trek Online for a long time might be thinking it's really obvious. I played Star Trek Online literally for months before anybody told me about the auto fire oh, yeah. feature because everyone assumes everybody else knows it. And it was like my mind was blown when I figured out that I could put that little green box around my weapons. Yeah. Um, so it's a really good one if you're just starting out or even if you've been playing for a while and you haven't heard of it. It's a Huge help. Well, it's one of those things that
0: the game doesn't tell you anywhere, you know, like throughout mm. your gameplay. It's not highlighted. It's not part yep. of the tutorial or anything like that. So, yeah, it's a, a very useful tip and it's not something that you would normally trip across through normal gameplay. And
2: lastly, before we wrap up gaming news, here are some events that are on the calendar in Star Trek Online. Starting with the PC, the key ring bundle is still available in the C-Store through November 9th. Get 20 Master Keys for reduced price, and get a free Ultimate Tech Upgrade thrown in as well. On Xbox One and PlayStation 4, the lifetime subscription sale is still going on, and that runs through the 23rd of November. On Xbox One and PlayStation 4, the Arena of Sompec is live for just one more week, and in addition to the prizes you can get for playing the event, Community Manager Ambassador Kel is offering special prizes for teams that make it the farthest. For more details and how to enter, we'll leave a link in the show notes, of course. Now, lastly, for both PC and consoles, there is a lifetime subscription sale. On consoles, Xbox One and PlayStation 4, that sale runs now through the 23rd of November. On PC, that sale runs now through the 7th of December. For more details about any of these events and sales, be sure to look at the in-game calendar or just check out our show notes with the links.
1: Now let's dive deep into Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, the next episode of Star Trek Discovery, in On Screen. On Screen.
2: All right, Captains, now it's time to look on screen for this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery.
1: Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad is the seventh episode in Star Trek Discovery, and who boy does it get off to a rockin' start. After a brief personal log from Burnham explaining that she's making friends and settling into routine, it's time for the disco on the disco. The officers are drinking and playing beer pong, Wyclef and the BGS are on the hi-fi, and crew members are pairing off faster than you can say fraternization. Tilly reveals that she's totally got a thing for musicians, and why on Vulcan hasn't Burnham hooked up with the totally bodacious dude that is Lieutenant Ash Tyler? Just then, Lieutenant Tyler turns up to flirt with Burnham, but, uh, uh-oh, they're called to the bridge. There's a space whale off the starboard bow that needs taking care of. Burnham heads to the cargo bay where the space whale is not well. Probably because of the dude inside who starts shooting at people. It's Harry Mudd, somehow out of prison, and back to steal the Discovery and sell it to the Klingons. But there's a twist mud has got a time crystal that allows him to repeat the same 30 minutes over and over again. And every time they catch him, he gets a little better. He learns the routines of the crew. He kills Captain Lorca 53 times, and he takes over the computer and makes it call him Captain. But he doesn't realize that Lieutenant Stamets' connection to the spore drive means he now exists outside of the normal time stream. So he's playing the game too, trying to convince Burnham and Tyler what's happening before it all starts over again. Mudd is a step ahead every time, eventually figuring out how Stamets interfaces with the Spore Drive. He's killed Lieutenant Tyler, sent the captain to the brig, and he's about to let them rejoin the time stream, when Burnham offers him a prize more valuable to the Klingons than Discovery. Her. When she kills herself, Mudd is forced to reset the timeline one last time. But Stamets, Burnham, and Tyler lay a trap, and instead of hailing the Klingons in his final gambit, they reroute his call to Stella and her father, the Baron. They arrive to pick him up, and the crew of the Disco see him off, with the request that he stay well away from Starfleet in the future.
2: All right, so why don't we first talk about some of the themes that were present in this week's episode? I mean, (laughs) the for me, one of the most prominent themes is that revenge is a dish best served cold.
3: Does, is, was everybody? Was everybody else? I mean, yeah, it, it was. It was. A, it was a time loop episode. And we talked a little bit about this on Sunday. It's a trope, right? I mean, the time loop thing is yeah. a trope, right? And it's appeared mm-hmm. in many uh, science fiction things, and you know, hell, Back to the Future is three movies long about time loops, right? Uh, Back to the Future too is one of the best sequences of, of that sort of time loop thing ever, ever done. But now, this is Star Trek has done it often enough that a Star Trek time loop episode is now a trope in and of itself. I think
1: <laughs> it is. Yes, we've seen it several times before. <laughs> yes, I mean, a
3: Star Trek time loop is now a thing. It's it's now it's now it's now. It's now its own thing.
2: Well, all right. So that's a that's a
1: plot device, though. But w- it,
2: were there any themes that, like, anything... Like, last week, we had Vulcan isolationism with these Vulcan extremists, mm-hmm. these logic extremists. Was there anything deep about this
1: episode? Well, for me, the... Oh, God, and I hate saying this. Okay, there was a big theme going on underneath about... Relationships and human connection, and really that being the key to unlocking what was going on. Because, um, and I kind of didn't like this, but you know that's another discussion. The re- it was effectively it was the relationship between Burnham and Ash Tyler that finally got Stamets through to the both of them, in order for them to be able to work together to resolve things. Because as as Burnham said to. Ash Tyler when they were dancing he tried to get through to Tyler he's a chief of security tried to get through to him he wasn't picking it up so he went for Burnham knowing that they two had a thing thinking that she could get through to him and then they did and then that was the key to sort of getting the whole plot moving and then of course there's that really tender scene between Burnham and Stamets dancing in the hallway and um I mean I think What they were kind of playing with was this idea that um, that human, quote unquote, human connection and relationships. It was the key to beating Mud, who's only hell bent on revenge.
2: Right. This 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 drove the nail into the concept that together they are a unit, but independent. They cannot survive. Right. Like Stamets obviously could not stop. Mudd on his own mm-hmm. and had to rely on his on his crewmates to get the job done. So yeah, yeah, that yes, the, the the idea of teamwork is definitely driven in again in this episode.
3: And the only thing that the writers have kept consistent uh, regarding the character of Harry Mud uh, is that he is only in it for himself. Uh, and they even like even call it right out in the episode. It's like I'm not a leader. and I'm not a follower. I mean, he even like says mm-hmm. it like boom, 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 boom with, like, big underlying, you know, uh, exclamation points on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's a theme, and it, it's, like, they even said so right in the show.
1: One thing that I did want to talk about, kind of coming back to this uh, idea of the relationships and the strength of the bonds between the crew really taking over uh, from what Mud was trying to do, is, um, it, well, it's it's not quite related, but I wanted to talk about the title of the episode. Um, So I did a little bit of digging into this, and it's kind of interesting. The, the, The quote, magic to make the sanest man go mad, is actually from Homer's The Iliad. Now, the full quote is there is the heat of love, the pulsing rush of longing, the lovers whisper irresistible magic to make the sanest man go mad. And to put into context what's going on, um, the Iliad is uh, basically about the Trojan War. It's about 10 years into the Trojan War. The Trojans are winning uh, partially because Zeus is backing them up and uh, they're pretty much destroying the other guys. Now, uh, in the chapter that this takes place, Zeus decides to take a break. And his wife, Hera, who we all know hates him, she decides she's going to screw with him. So he's decided to take a break. She's going to seduce him. And after they make love, she's going to put him to sleep and, and give the opposite side a chance to change the fate of the war. So she goes to Aphrodite and asks to borrow Aphrodite's breastplate. And this is what she's referring to, well, it's actually Homer who's referring to, it's a description of the breastplate. There is the heat of love, the pulsing rush of longing, all of that contained within this breastplate. And Hera uses it to seduce her husband. They make love and then Hera gets uh, sleep to put him to sleep. Uh, Then she goes off and tells Poseidon, here's your opportunity. He goes in with the Achaeans and uh, there's uh, huge losses on the side of the Trojans and eventually the Trojans lose the war and, and it's the fall of Troy. So it's a really interesting choice of a quote for the title of this episode, I think. And uh, there's a lot to like speculate on where it could go, but fundamentally for me it implies that there is going to be a relationship here That's going to turn the tide of the war. A romantic relationship that in some way is going to affect the outcome of the Klingon war. And what that is, I'm not sure yet.
3: It's got to be Tyler and Burnham. It has to be. It
1: also... has to be. But it also could be Laurel. Because we've forgotten about Laurel. And then she's been shown in the scenes for the next episode.
3: But she's not in this episode, though.
1: Correct, but you know what if there's a romantic relationship between her and Call? Call being the Zeus stand-in character, and her being the Hera who hates him, etc. It's
3: I I think I think that Tyler has the breastplate. I think Tyler is the. I, th- I think it's his five o'clock stubble. I think it's <laughs> I think that is the breastplate. Sanest woman go mad because we're doing we're we're all gender equal these days, right? I mean, it could be sanest man well, could be you know it can go both ways. So the five o'clock stubble. His, uh, uh, you know, Larell had a thing for Vach, back when he was Vach and had the the bald head with the spiky points. And Burnham has a thing for the five o'clock stubble, and that's going to be the love triangle supreme, which f- brings down the fall of somebody.
1: Yeah, maybe we'll have it's. to. Um, we'll just have to wait and see, really. But it's a really interesting idea to chew over. I
3: got a D in the class in college where I was supposed to read the Iliad.
2: All right, so let's talk about some of the touchstones, some of the Easter eggs that we may have found familiar in Star Trek lore. I mean, for starters, for me, the personal log that opens the show with the exposition. Mm. An air of routine has descended upon the ship. It, it, that sounds awfully familiar to me because it sounds a lot like Chris Pine's Captain's Log as Captain Kirk in Star Trek Beyond. Remember the whole... Episodic throwaway line at the mm-hmm. start of the film, and, and the time loop thing itself is touchstone creeping into trope.
1: Yep. yep, right
2: because we have cause and effect in the next generation.
1: Yep, I really liked that. I really liked that personal log at the start. Um, it, it helps. It helps show the passage of quite a good deal of time, um, which then leads into their being able to work together a little bit better in this episode where at, at previously they were they were a little bit, you know, separated, but it yeah, it works for me. That definitely works.
2: So, what about favorite moments? Did you guys have any favorite moments in the episode?
1: Yeah. <laughs> My favorite moment by far was when Burnham and Stamets were dancing in the hallway. I mean, there's a lot of things that I liked about it. I mean, uh, you can <laughs> It did remind me of a lot of parties in college because there were, like, people like hooking up in the hallway behind them. It was kind of, yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but I really, you know, I really liked the discussion that they had. It was a nice little moment that was separate from... You could tell that he'd been through this enough times that he was resigned to the time loop recurring and dying and being blown up several times. And so it was this nice little oasis of calm where they're talking philosophically about love, which helps Burnham's character kind of grow, uh, but also in 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 the cadence of the episode was a nice little um, piece of calm for me.
2: You know, the the party scene is certainly, I think, influenced by Alex Kurtzman, who also worked on the J.J. Abrams films, right? And in 2009... One of the most iconic scenes is that in the bar in Iowa, right, where Kirk is hitting on Uhura in this, you know, as cadets, right? This was very reminiscent of that Mm -hmm. that scene where it was very, it was unprofessional, but refreshing, right?
3: This was clearly Stamets' episode. I mean, honestly, I think this was, this is, everybody gets their... Everybody you know the when you do these episodic ones it's usually a time for character development you get a, some people get to like spread their wings a little bit he's taken away a little bit from the groovy shrooms angle and gone back to more of a real person uh thing here i really think this was his this was paul Stanwitz's episode i think and uh, he did, he did he did well with it i think that he he uh, it was that was a nice uh, sort of grounding moment when he was talking with Burnham. Less mad scientist, more human being trying to... Yeah, I guess you could, like Ken was pointing out, I mean, it's kind of manipulative, I guess, but he's doing it with the best of intentions for the ship, and he really is interested in making that sort of human connection we were talking about with Burnham. Mm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it was not it wasn't... She's not just a means to an end. He knows he's going to live with this Groundhog Day experience, even if they happen to get the timeline set back straight. He's going to have yeah. to live with the things that he says and does in each of these, you know, iterations. So I think you know he's he's watching out for that and he's mindful of that. And I think it really does come through. Uh, so it's a really good character building
2: episode for Stamets, I thought, mm-hmm. and more importantly, it sets it up for whatever mirror universe event might be coming later, because he is essentially and admittedly existing outside the normal time stream, yeah. as he tells Harry Mudd at the end of the episode.
1: It surprised me that he said that actually, kind of out loud. I kind of thought that it was going to be something that he knew, like I'm waiting for I'm waiting for him to come back later. And remember the stuff that happened, but nobody else does. Like Lorca's dark matter, creepy marble things. Oh, don't get me started. No one else is going to remember that except for Stamets. Um So I'm, I'm waiting for that to come back to us. And Harry um, Mudd. And I'm surprised. Yeah, and I'm I'm surprised that Stamets actually came out and said, "Oh, I exist outside of the time stream." It, it was it was it was surprising to me.
2: You know, uh, speaking of touchstones, um, I just want to take a second to, to comment on some of the costuming. Because Stella's costume at the end of the episode yeah. was very 1960s influenced. I mean, that it, it was gorgeous costume, gorgeous costuming. But the way it just wrapped around her felt very 60s. It felt it like very... I was, wa- for that moment, I felt like I was watching TOS for a second.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, Um,
2: That
3: scene, I felt like I was watching Scooby-Doo.
1: Yeah, while we're we're on this Scooby-Doo subject, uh, my actual first reaction to this episode was I was so disappointed. And there are things that I like about it, but overall I am totally disappointed because it started off so strong. It was great. I mean, can we talk about the beer pong at some point? But it, it was ruined by that last iteration of the time loop was so Scooby-Doo. It was so... I expected smarter.
2: Well, therein lies the problem with this particular episode and the way that people are receiving it. There are people that really love this episode and there are people that really hate it. It's for very interesting reasons, being that the episode was so episodic. Yes. It was such a a ship-in-a-bottle episode that... That long-term Trekkies, right? People who, who are used to that, who are familiar with that type of storytelling loved it. I've seen, t- I've seen articles all over the internet saying this was the most Star Trek episode mm-hmm. that was that, that has been published as my favorite one. And yet for me personally, I felt pulled me away. Like yes, I yes, I agree. This was probably the most Star Trek episode. If you were to compare it to the formula that we are used to for the last 50 years, mm-hmm. that the ship begins and ends in the exact same condition. Yep. And the denouement felt rushed. Yeah. It felt like a Scooby-Doo ending the way you guys described it. I mean...
3: Yeah, and can we talk about the, the whole uh, just take him away and we don't want to see him ever again? The guy... Yeah. The, yeah, I mean...
1: Seriously? He killed Captain Lorca at least 53 times, and they're like, now you just keep an eye on him. At least, yeah. Yes,
2: but but Lorca doesn't remember that. No, no, no.
1: He hadn't done it yeah. yet, but Stamets has convinced them all that he's done these terrible things in order for them to to play this final game with him. They know he's dangerous, like super dangerous.
3: Yes, super dangerous, and, and just to put this in perspective... He says he killed Borca 53 times in half-hour time loops. The guy has been at this for 26 hours at least. So he <laughs> yeah. for 26 hours straight he's been murdering people at least. They even show him yawning a few times, right? Because I mean he's really this is taking a toll on the guy. So he's Well, he's also committing suicide. Sure, yeah. I mean, so I mean he's 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 messed up in the head. Okay, and so what they say is take him away. We don't want to see him again. Let's even talk about the space whale in current-day stuff. We talked about this on the other show. If you even like injure an endangered bird in modern day America it's a five digit fine and jail time if you even injure a tiny bird and he stuffed he rammed a spaceship up a space whale's butt okay okay <laughs> oh and <laughs> and he's going to just walk
1: it could have gone in the mouth anyway
3: and he's going to walk
1: here's i, I want to say one little tiny thing that would have changed the episode completely, in my opinion. Why didn't they shoot the space whale? That's what I expected to happen. I expected Burnham and Tyler to walk onto the bridge without saying a word and fire phasers and kill the space or whale. Or how
3: about just not beam the thing aboard? Just say, Captain, we have reason to believe through timey-wimey spacey jibbly-wobbly stuff that, that has a d- there's a dangerous thing on that spaceship. As a matter of fact, Stan wants to tell you it's Harry Mud hiding in there. We should beam his ass right off there into the brig. And then we'll cure the space whale of his space indigestion because he has a spaceship up his butt. Right.
2: So, let's just <laughs> Now, here's the thing. You guys are arguing about plot holes that are existent in in almost every episode of Star Trek, right? Like these are these because that's that's what happens in an episodic story, yeah. right? Where you have 45 minutes to tell a story and resolve the story. And that's the problem that I've had and I'm having with these last two episodes of Star Trek Discovery. The last two episodes just really have just confused me because Prior to the premiere, the writers and producers were defending the serialized storytelling Mm -hmm. tooth and nail. Yeah. So the first five episodes were very tied together by both the Burnham and Klingon war plot. Right. Then, all of a sudden, episodes six and seven...
1: Beer pong! ...bring
2: that war and her (laughs) mutiny to a screeching halt. Yeah. Sure, we have some character development happening, but it's much different and in a more subtle way when compared to those first five episodes. Mm. And this is my problem with Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine had the Dominion War, like front and center those last few seasons once Iris, Stephen Bear took over. And then we had Ferengi episodes in the middle of it that just put it to a halt. It uh, No, no, don't do this. Don't yeah. do this. What happened to, to Admiral to Cornwell? We forgot about her. Right. What happened What happened to the Klingon cloaking devices? Why? Why aren't those an issue at this point already? Yeah. It's true.
3: And, and you know, with all the we've got a war on and everything, all this kind of stuff, all of a sudden the environmental regs are going to dictate when the starship exposes itself to a, a, a risk and they're going to deviate from their course and drop it off at a zoological plant. That would have worked in TNG. That might have worked in Deep Space Nine. That would have worked maybe in Voyager. But come on. We're, I mean, how many times is, have we said we're in danger, the Federation is losing this war, Poverty's making a comeback thanks to you, Burnham, and this whole thing you've done? I mean existential crisis and they're going to divert everything because of the space whale and that and that's the hook that makes the whole hairy mud getting on board the ship go it just seems a little it just seems like someone said we have eight episodes worth of klingon war story to talk about we need to make 13 episodes which means you guys go off into a room and write five episodes of trek go and it's like just detach detach Mm -hmm. themselves from the rest of the story and, and go put that stuff out there
1: I think we should actually, you know, take it back and try and maybe end on a on a really positive note because on the whole, I did enjoy most of this episode. Yeah, it was a little let down at the end, but there were some really cute character moments, and it was fun. They tried to have fun with it. They went back to star trek and it's what a lot of people have been asking for so i I think on the whole, it's still a win, a little bit of a blip there at the end, but still going in an okay direction
2: no i agree i I completely agree with you. This was a very Star Trek episode, and we saw some some stellar acting moments between stamets and burnham i mean like you mentioned earlier that dancing scene in the hallway that was just that was that was just great direction actually i want to even go back to that party where you see the one starfleet officer who now has a implant on the side of her head Mm -hmm. she's listening to ash tyler deliver that speech about the fallen soldiers and she's just kind of like staring out into the void like that was just great that was just a great acting choice there were were so many good moments in this episode and such great storytelling however pulling back that's where I have the problem
3: lots of good pieces maybe just not put together quite right that's that's how I've been feeling a lot this first season lots of good pieces just not put together quite right
2: Well, that wraps up our review of Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, the seventh episode in Star Trek Discovery. We want to know your thoughts, so be sure to let us know on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash priority1podcast or on Twitter at priority1pod. Now, let's open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages.
0: Message coming in,
1: sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages.
2: Episode 340's community question was, Are you excited about Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery? What would you like to see tackled on the show after the current story arc is finished?
3: From Patreon, Joss says, I am super stoked the show has already been renewed. While I love serialized shows because we can get into the deep details of a story a lot better than in single episodes, I would like to see some more standalone episodes in Season 2. DS9 included standalone episodes during the Dominion War Plot, and while they were good episodes, they often felt very disconnected from the story. Discovery seems to be taking a much better approach, in my opinion, and I'd love to see that continue into whatever storyline they bring us in Season 2.
1: I guess someone agrees with you, Elijah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Woohoo!
2: From Patreon, Brendan Malone. I actually haven't seen the show yet. I don't have CBS All Access. I don't want to pirate it. I'm glad the show was renewed and look forward to seeing it eventually. Well, Brendan, we hope that you will eventually have the opportunity to watch all the episodes, even if you binge it for just one month or two months. Hmm. Be sure to uh, use our affiliate link. <laughs> wink, wink, <laughs> nudge, nudge. But uh, we look forward to your opinions once you do view the episodes
1: via email adam fitzgerald wrote us i'm definitely excited for the new season of star trek discovery for season two i would like to see a change of perspective the klingons as protagonists and the federation as antagonists i think this scenario could lead to some great storytelling as well as an equally great opportunity to hash out the klingon empire's role in trek
3: as long as they promise not to speak in klingon from Twitter, Barnabas O. Scott says, How soldiers have to reintegrate to peacetime conditions after the war. PTSD could affect a character.
2: This week's Title It Thursday winner was Jay Galloway. In the picture, Maria Russo, Stephen Recosa, and myself were in a picture at the iBar during the Star Trek Online dev meet and greet in Star Trek Las Vegas in 2017. Jay's caption, Maria and the executive powers... Sounds like a rock band. Elio, EP of P1, and Stephen Rikosa, EP of Stowe.
1: And we once again took to Twitter with our Survey Sunday question. What do you think about the Gormaganders? Do they deserve saving? And out of 26 votes, 73% of you said yes, hashtag save the Gormaganders. 15% of you said no, hashtag fight club panda quote. And finally, 12% said what's a Gormadu? Hashtag iWatchTheWalkingDead
2: Hi, I'm Elijah I'm Kenna And I'm Tony Will you be a hero for a helpless Gormagander? Every day, innocent Gormaganders feast on the alpha particles in solar winds And they're ignorant to their own self-destruction
1: please Contact the Society for Healthy and Active Gormaganders and contribute a monthly gift right now. For just 386,226.47 energy credits a month, that's only 12,874.22 energy credits a day, you'll help pair Gormaganders with other Gormaganders and provide uh, stuff necessary uh, for, you know, baby making
3: call or join online in the next 30 minutes and you'll receive this welcome kit with a photo of a gormagander blissfully eating its own species into extinction one who's been pulled from its happy gluttony for the purpose of procreation by your generous gift
2: right now there's a gormagander who needs you your call says i'm going to prevent natural selection because i know best Please, please call right now. Well, that wraps up episode 341 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Women at Warp, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to our Patreon supporters like Navy Boat Slew, David S., and Admiral along with everybody else, who offers a financial contribution each month via Patreon.com.
1: Before we go, here's a reminder of what our community question is for this week. If you could visit any earthly location with Star Trek history, where would you go?
3: Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash priorityonepodcast or tweet us via at
1: Pod. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11 p.m. Eastern on Facebook. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details.
0: And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. And don't forget that every Saturday night, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel for some in-depth playthroughs of Star Trek Online. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash PriorityOne.
1: This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash PriorityOne. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going.
3: Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Now with a brand new format starting in December, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the
2: logical choice. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker and Jake Morgan, and with support from Midnight Shadow Seven of Sweet Media. Thanks to Jake Morgan, as well, for spearheading our social media endeavors, especially those Title It Thursdays and Awesome Survey Sundays. Thanks to news contributor, John Kirk. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to Patreon associate producer, Navy Boatslew. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible.
1: Enemy ship on sensors.
2: Red alert.
0: Shields up. Ready weapons.
1: Engage.
0: Engage.
2: I have a question for you. Uh, I have an answer. How much candy did you eat tonight? <laughs> because <laughs> Jesus Christ. A lot.
3: I only have a few of the wrappers left.
2: <laughs> if you need a Voyager, out after having watched all the episodes of CBS <laughs> because we know you've reached out to the subscribe for our affiliate. You may want to subscribe to the Planet Society's YouTube channel. The doctor himself, Robert Picardo. You may sold to the man in the bride suit. <laughs> this is Elijah, Ta-da. feedback sync one.
1: This is Kenna, feedback sync two.
2: This is Tony, v in 3.
1: 15% said no. Hashtag Fight Club Panda quote. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> hashtag Fight Club Panda quote. 12... Uh, hashtag Fight Club uh, for, for Pete. Do <laughs> <rava laughs> <peanuts>. the <That's, laughs> 15%. It's not like it's Do in French. <laughs> no, I know. It's the...